Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Good Leadership Podcast. If you're new here, I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership and the co-host on this podcast with my wonderful friend, Kevin Sensenig. And hello there, I'm Kevin Sensenig. I am the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership and the President of Interaction Dynamics Group, the Mid-Atlantic Partner for Good Leadership. And Paul, it's wonderful to be with you today. I got to say, I'm looking forward to talking with you again in this podcast. Uh, so as we always start, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm I'm happy. And I've been thinking about some exciting work, probably my favorite work of the year so far. We recently organized and facilitated a National Advisory Council meeting for one of our clients who's really disrupting a very old and staid industry. Um, it was a fantastic meeting and probably my favorite work of the year so far. It It's fun turning the springtime energy that we have into kind of disruptive energy for our clients. I, I really do love it when we help our clients, you know, find the outside-in input from their industry about their business. Mm-hmm. How about you? What's going on for you? Yeah, I think it's been interesting this week. Uh, I've had some several conversations with CEOs who are thinking about that next step of their business, that succession process, right? Who's coming behind them and how they make sure they have the leadership team ready to take on those broader responsibilities and who could really step into their role. And it's been interesting as CEOs have wrestled through that thinking, uh, that confidence in some individuals, that hesitation with other individuals and help them uncover why is there that hesitation? What would it take to close that gap that they'd be confident uh, turning, other, turning to other leaders to lead in the organization? So it's been an inspiring week and in working with them, helping them see things differently and, and think about their organization very differently. Well, I know this is not the subject of our podcast today, but my recommendation for you in the conversation with those CEOs is to create moments where you get to see this top talent who's involved in your succession planning, create moments where they're interacting with their customer and their industry. Right. Just this morning, I had breakfast with the CEO from the national who who hired us to do the National Advisory Council, and he mm-hmm. saw three of his people in a new light based on how they handled themselves in that advisory council meeting. Really interesting insights, and that's one of the things I love about coaching. Oh, that's a great insight to share too, because I think you're right. Most CEOs are looking at can they handle the internal aspect of the role. And we've been challenging them also on what's it look like with customers. And that's where they kind of get stumped. They stumble a little bit. They go, well, I know they'll work with the leadership team well. I know they'll work with our managers well. Well, they work well with our customers. And so that's a great insight. I appreciate you sharing that today, Paul. Spot on. So the subject of our podcast today is talking about clear roles and responsibilities and how that relates to high performance in executive teams. This is definitely one of those common sense concepts where the Ideas are not all that difficult, but as you and I know, Kevin, there's just all sorts of reasons why common sense is not common practice. Exactly. So, Kevin, can you please explain how you think about clear roles and responsibilities? Yeah, Paul, it's really that common sense element of how the team fits together. And so it sounds like common sense to know what my responsibilities are, but unfortunately, sometimes leadership teams don't share that openly. And so the the sense of building clear roles and responsibility revolves around kind of three core elements. One, that we make sure responsibilities are clear to everyone on the team. So not just that I know I need to do it or you know I need to do it, everyone's clear on what I'm doing. And then secondly, that we know that each person understands their specific role and what they own so that they're sharing out to the team. Here's what I'm driving, what I'm moving forward, and how I'm contributing to the team as well. And the third is that the responsibilities make sense to the team so they can execute them together. 
Well, it seems like it makes sense to only assign certain responsibilities to people who know that they can do that. But I, I have my own personal experience with this one in particular. Uh, the first time I was a PL leader, we were trying to create a global alliance. And it was my responsibility to create the alliance, but I didn't have any specific goals related to the performance of the mm. business. And so there were people who had goals and I had the responsibility, but we actually never really came together and we were not very happy with each other mm -hmm. until we kind of made those connections. So I understand why that's intuitive, but it's not always common practice. And, you know, I was at the center of that particular story. And I think that's where a lot of teams, um, you know, run into trouble. That leads me to our story of the week. So, believe it or not, we have several clients who learned how to become CEOs for the first time during COVID. Wow. And so, it was a very interesting time to learn how to be an enterprise leader. And I was reflecting on one of our clients who has been a CEO now for about five years. He and I were talking about this, and he said, well, what are you learning? What, are you, what advice are you giving these people? And I said, well, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. I think particularly now, it's really, really important that CEOs who are generally very impatient take the time mm -hmm. to go around the table and explain everyone's goals and major responsibilities to one another. Hmm. And he slapped his forehead and said, oh, my God. Why is this the first time I've ever thought of that? <laughs> and right. so we had one of these humility moments. I'm say, I said, seriously, you don't do this? And he said, no. And I, I said, well, it's simple logic. How can people help each other be accountable if they don't know what their roles and goals are? And that led to a whole cascading effect of new behaviors around that executive team table. And this is a person who's been successful for five years as a CEO. And it was interesting that he was so willing to embrace a new idea, Kevin. Well, that's exciting to hear because you're right. CEOs can be very impatient and they get very locked into how they do things. And they make a lot of assumptions in that, that everyone in the leadership team is bought into the plan, knows what they're doing, and is owning their own lane of the plan. And I like what you're saying is how do we bring that together and we share that sense of the plan, we share that sense of direction. And that seems like the epiphany the CEO had that, wow, it's not a matter of each person doing their own part and adding it up. It's the team coming together and rallying around those responsibilities together. Yeah, so here's how we got into this whole thing. We were having a planning meeting with his administrator, and we were talking about new things we wanted to do, and he asked. He said, what, what do you think of this idea? And she said, well, actually, I think it's a really good idea because, you know, you've added some new talent to the team, mm -hmm. and the scuttlebutt is that people are concerned that you're celebrating them too much. Um, we don't even really know anything about them yet. We, we don't know what they're supposed to be doing, what their responsibilities are, and specifically, you know, what promises and goals have they made to the team that we can judge whether they're doing well or not? And once again, the CEO is like, I never thought about it that way. I thought it was clear. She said, well, no, it's not. Mm. And so I was able to interject. So how, how are people supposed to understand the interdependencies? How are they supposed to know whose lane is what and when they're supposed to cr cut across lanes to get important work done. Mm -hmm. And it started a conversation that was very unlike this CEO. He suddenly became interested in details and who's responsible for what, what lines of authority in terms of signing authority legally, you know, through the general counsel and things like that. And it really, it started a transformation on this team in ways that turned out to be uh, really powerful. 
Well, Paul, as you hear you explain that, I have to think of many organizations I talk with, and I think the same challenge trips them up. We're going to bring in new talent. We're excited about that new talent coming in. And so we almost sell them on, here's all the problems we have that you're going to come fix. And so in the CEO's mind, he was probably very clear on where everyone fit on the team. But yet, it sounds like he hadn't clarified that with the team. They, have, they didn't understand exactly what that person thought they were doing coming onto the team. And that creates a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, lack of clarity around responsibilities. Well, not only that, but you touched on the most important thing. He was in salesmanship mode. He was mm-hmm. selling his team on how many new opportunities this, these new people were going to create for the organization. It was all very almost heroic in the way they were thinking about new things they could do, but they were taking their eye off the very basics. And this really lines up with, you know, what I've learned over and over and over again is that too many people think about roles and responsibilities in terms of what I own and what you own, and then they translate it into this is my lane and this is your lane. (laughs) And that actually creates more problems than it does create clarity. And I've seen organizations watch certain people on the team failing and wondering, Mm. I wonder how she's going to get this back on track. And instead of embracing the idea that your goals are my goals and these are all team goals and if we, you know, Mm -hmm. any goal that we miss is actually a hole in our bucket. And if we have any holes in the bucket, we're draining out all sorts of energy and resources and goodwill. And I just find it's much more um, powerful to sit down and have that disciplined conversation. You know, even for leaders like me, I mean, this does not fit into my personality at all. I think this is fingernails on the chalkboard kind of conversations. But if I don't yeah. do it, I suffer down the line for sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting also because as I think about the, the way you describe this situation with bringing in some new leaders and kind of creating that hero mindset around them, I'm sure it while maybe the other executives didn't want to admit that to themselves, in some ways it was almost like, well, if they're that great, let them figure that out. I hope they kind of find their way rather than running to rally behind them. And I think clear roles and responsibilities allows people to buy into one another, not just buy into the, the overall plan. So I think those things go, go hand in hand. So, Paul, what were some things that you did with this team then and with the CEO to get them to build clarity around their roles and responsibilities and not feel that heroic mindset, but that more team-oriented mindset? That's a great question because what really happened is that the administrator stepped back in and, and she really saved oh. the day. She said, well, hey, I have everyone's goals and I have everyone's signing authorities and I have everyone's organization charts. So let me put it together into a document and then they put together a meeting where everybody got seven minutes. Hmm. And they started with, what are my goals? What are my, res- my signing authorities in order to get that done? What does my organization look like? And they went all the way around the table. There were 11 people. So it took a while. Yeah. But each one had seven minutes. And then we allowed three minutes of, of people to ask questions. So 10 minutes a person. And by the time they mm-hmm. were done... Probably the best thing that happened is we agreed to take like an hour and a half for lunch and people started to shoulder up with each other and say, hey, I didn't realize you had that. And I didn't realize, you know, we need to work together on this. And I immediately flashed back to that time. I let my partners down. You know, I had the global alliance as my strategic objective, yet I didn't have any specific goals related to that. 
And because we had not shouldered up and created those alliances, I was letting them down. Even though the company was beating profitability and sales targets, there were people around the table that were missing their goals. And I just didn't see it. And so that's the kind of thing that we can fix by being very disciplined in terms of creating that discussion chart and going around the table sharing goals. Well, I also hear in that, Paul, not only that sense of clear roles and responsibilities, but the real power of leveraging strengths in team members. When I know goals and responsibilities and I can offer the support where I have a strength or they don't have a strength or they have a strength and I don't. And I think the good example of that is how the chief administrative administrative officer handled that with the CEO. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as I'm hearing you talk about this, the CEO loved the selling idea and loved the growth and loved the energy of the pursuit of the big plan. And it took the chief administrative officer to look at that and say, but here's how we make it all function and make it all work. And I think that's a great way of leveraging strengths and senses of responsibility to get things done. Yeah, I'll never forget the look on his face when she said she was excited about this. He looked at her like, well, okay, go ahead and do it then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just like, you know, and this is where, you know, opposite skill sets attract. They're a very high-performing team, the two of them. And what Mm -hmm. his prediction was is that the team would gloss over, get bored, um, but they didn't. They, they, everyone leaned in. Those 10-minute time chunks went really, really fast. And it was a very invigorating meeting. And I have to admit that in watching the whole thing, I was rethinking how I want to run my team at Good Leadership and how we want to run our client teams differently because we have to understand, you know, what the kind of goals we're working on, not only on behalf of our own team, but the, the coaching teams. You know, and you're a coach on yeah. some of our teams, Kevin. It's important for me to understand sure. what you're trying to do with your coaching clients. So I like the way you've kind of laid this out, the sense of kind of some distraction, lack of clarity at the beginning, some ways that the team kind of rallied around clear roles and responsibilities. And I like you said at lunchtime, they kind of shouldered up and began to see some immediate results from that. What's going to have been the long-term perspective following that meeting? Have they continued that conversation and sense of direction? Or is it something you have to kind of remind them to do every now and then? Or how are they moving forward with this idea? Well, you and I have talked about this idea of optimization as being sort of a buzzword. And what was fascinating about this particular group is we put two models in front of them. I'm going to ask you to explain Mm -hmm. one model, the RACI model, the Mm R-A-C-I model accountability. And then we also gave them the big A, little a model for accountability and roles and responsibilities. So half of the group in the room migrated towards RACI. So why don't you explain to us what that Mm. is? This idea of RACI, and sometimes people use other acronyms, Paul, but the RACI model is really a build about who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, and who's informed around the plan or the decisions. And so it's this thought of clarifying who's driving things and who's responding to things or just being aware of things. And one of the ways that we found to simplify that concept a little bit, Paul, is this idea of big A, little A. And in this situation, we define A as accountable. So big A accountable and little A accountable. That the big A is the person who takes the ownership and responsibility to assure that goal or that decision is followed through and implemented. And the small A or little A is all those teams and individuals that rally around them and support them and give input and make sure the big A is successful in their role. Okay, so big A, little A is just a simpler version of that. Big A means if this goes wrong, I'm the one who owns it and I need to take responsibility to make sure that we fix it. 
And then little a is the idea that you're a part of this team. I need your help. You've got a role in this. And so in big A, little a is just a simplified version of racy. And so what was interesting is that we had to have a discussion. Can the team survive with two different roles and responsibilities model? And they agreed to try. And I have to tell you, the experiment is too soon to tell whether it worked or not. But what I can tell you is they're spending a lot more energy talking about responsibilities and accountabilities and things that they've ever had in the past. So I I think it's going well. Well, and I would just even say from my own experience, why I like the big A, little A concept is it's a much simplified version of that. People can buy into that quickly and they might say, I'm the big A. I know I own driving this and making it work. But I also know who I rely on to do that. And those teams tend to gel together in the small A category much more effectively. My concern sometimes in teams that really use the racy or daisy model or one of those is sometimes that becomes the work of the team, creating mm-hmm. the, the picture, creating the model, creating all the right alignment around that. And they lose track of what they're actually trying to accomplish because it takes so long to get that clarified. So I think this little way, the big A little way really lets people rally to that more quickly and get some buy-in very early on in clear roles and responsibilities. Paul, maybe kind of recap this a little bit for us. What do you see as some of the success habits that we can take away and begin to apply to clarify roles and responsibilities in our own organizations? Well, clearly from the structural side, it's making the time to literally share goals, responsibilities, and even things like signing authorities with each other. Um, mm-hmm. It's important work, and it also it's not easy work because there were people in the room who were upset that some people had much higher signing authorities than others. And so they had to work that through which, which really leads to the relational side of things, and that is that for a team to really perform at their very highest, um, relationships need to form across, and, you know, and social connections need to be created around the work. It's not just about the kumbaya, you know, get off site and have fun together to build relationships. You know, the strongest relationships in executive teams are the social connections when you're working on something important together where you share responsibilities and goals. So I think those are the things that really came alive in this story that that are, are worth learning if you really want to have better performance on your team. Yeah, so I hear you saying from a success habit standpoint for our listeners that the structural success habit is around sharing goals and allowing everyone to see the connection between those goals very vividly. Mm-hmm. And then on the relational side, it's encouraging the team to work together and build the connection around the power of the work, not just the outcome of the work. So they get excited about the value of their roles and responsibilities. Exactly. And when teams take the time to do this kind of work that a lot of people in the room will think is just painstaking, it really helps them implement better. And it makes it easier to create the kind of great results that the best teams expect. Well, I said at the beginning, when you asked me about this idea of clear roles and responsibilities, it's about me understanding where I fit, what I'm contributing, and where others fit, and how they're contributing, and how we work together. And I think what you've shared in the story is a great example of an executive team coming together and realizing it's not just about that one superhero leader that gets great things done. It's all of us rallying together around our responsibilities to make the organization great. I think a nice example of that in clear roles and responsibilities today. Thank you, Paul. Very well said, Kevin. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to further this discussion and make new connections around leading and coaching teams. And Paul, I've really enjoyed our conversation today as well, and I hope that all of you listening today have enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts, whether it's thoughts on today's episode or things you'd like to hear for future episodes. 
So please reach out to us by sending us a note at info at goodleadership.com. That's I-N-F-O at goodleadership.com. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Yes, we would really do hope to hear from you soon. And until next time, remember, good leadership is a team sport. It's our intention to help you build the team that helps you build your dreams. Make it a great day. 